Welcome to episode 61 of Reading Between the Reels. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're a new listener, we're so glad you found us. If you've been enjoying the show, please tell someone about us, send a tweet, post a Facebook, write a review on your favorite podcast catcher, or just recommend the show to a friend. I'm Craig Dickinson, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, Corey Heitschmidt and Justin Eldon. How's it going, guys? Awesome. The one and only. Justin, how you doing? Good. I couldn't think of something clever to say, but I'm good. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. Well, uh, well, Justin, here's something clever. What are we talking about today? Oh, we are we are talking about Ant Man. Yeah. The first one. Yeah. The original. Not. It's not that old, but I'm gonna call it the original. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's from 2015. Kids these yeah, days, it's, it's probably pretty old. That's old. Oh yeah, that is. Yeah. Old. Yeah. Well, okay. yeah, as you guys, I'm sure you know, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania is due out very very soon. So I've figured it was a good time to take a look back at the original ant-man film and kind of break it down like we do so um cory i'm gonna start with you what are your some of your overall thoughts on ant-man i think ant-man came out to be a incredible movie that has great character building and i think this is this is an origin story i don't mind sometimes i get bogged down in origin stories um and this one this one is a great blend of the perfect amount of building him up as a character. They show Scott Lang to be the hero who just is down on his luck, the felony and getting out of prison, who's just has the right uh, morals. You know, he's not, he's not, he's kind of the Robin hood taken from the rich, you know, not, he's not out there just robbing anybody and everybody. So there's a reason and a, and a, and a justification for why he did what he had to do. But then they blend in perfect mix of comedy and strong characters to to make this a innovative story, well paced, excellent, uh, excellent uh, story arc with the characters and the action scenes and the fight scenes, and then to have a great, incredible resolution. So I think I think Ant Man is one of those movies that does this so well. The only other one I think that that really bl- stands out to my mind to bring in that mix of comedy and strong personality characters was the original Iron Man. And so I would rank this up there as one of my top ones. This Ant-Man movie right here was absolutely incredible. Uh, high praise. It is. Justin, Justin, what about you? Mm. So just out of curiosity, Corey, top, like you took top five in the MCU or? Where? I'd put this as top five. Top five. To, well, that's a tough, that's a tough. I mean, there might be a tie in there somewhere. Okay. But I've got, (laughs) I got to say this one is the chemistry that they have between these characters, between Michael Pena and, and Scott Lang and Paul Rudd, though their chemistry is absolutely incredible. (laughs) Uh, The chemistry between Paul Run or Paul Rudd, Evangeline Learley and Michael Douglas is seamless. They, those three characters work together and play together so well. And the villain, Darren, (laughs) Uh, which is a great name for a villain. I'm sorry, Darren. I just think I think <laughs> your brother's fantastic. name. It's my brother's name too. Who, my older brother. Who hurt you, Corey? Who picked <laughs> on me when I was a kid? So I hear the name Darren as a villain, and I'm like, "Yep, we're going with it. I love it." There you go. Uh, yeah, but I no, that I think Trevor. Anytime a villain is Trevor, I'm just like, <laughs> "Yeah." <laughs> so sorry to all the Darrens out there, but I'm just saying it. It's he does a great job. I don't think he gets as much screen time. And so I do feel like they rush his lines a little bit to show him to be a villain. And so it's somewhat a little bit unbelievable. And you write it off with the the tests and the shrinking that you've been doing is affecting your brain. 
you know, right. so we rewrite it that way. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a quick, easy, as Deadpool would say, well, that's just lazy writing, you know, <laughs> but I think, I think they do a great job. They're all, the story is fantastic. The scenes are great that they spent time on the special effects of this movie to do it in a great way. The cinematography we're, we're going to talk about. There's some things I want to point out, but this is, this is definitely a top five. If I'm allowed to have a couple ties sure. in my top five list of MCUs. Yeah, we may have to do that that show one time. Just rank our MCU movies. That would be fun. So, Justin, what do you think about Ant Man? So, I'm gonna agree with Corey on on multiple points. I don't know if I'd put it in top five, but it's definitely top. It's it's up there, top ten maybe. I don't know. Really good. I enjoyed it. Um, I hadn't seen it. That's not true. I just saw it a couple months ago, but. <laughs> I casually watched it. You know, there's like a there's like a real sure. watch and there's like a casual watch. Um, this was a, this was a real watch just the other day, and I I just I forgot how good of a movie it was. It's it's almost um, I don't want to say simpler time in the MCU because I don't think the MCU has ever been simple for uh, to its benefit. It's it's been complex from the beginning, um, but it didn't. It wasn't like crushed under the weight of its own characters Mm -hmm. um i feel like some mcu movies do that or crushed under the weight of um past or future plot lines that it has to uh resolve or create um and maybe that's because it was an origin story and it didn't try too hard to bring in other characters I really appreciated that. Like it kind of what Corey said, it was just like, it was simple. It, it was somewhat reminiscent of Iron Man because we're getting an origin story that is more or less its own standalone film. There's just, there's a little bit of other MCU stuff in there, but it's really character focused. Um, I thought again, as Corey said, the cast was just amazing. Like their chemistry with one another, like Paul Rudd and his entire crew of, other uh burglars like they're they're hilarious and i i don't know if it's off the cuff or it's well scripted but like it is it is some good times luis and his little like recaps of what people said <laughs> oh we'll talk about probably that, yeah. some <clears throat> of the best in the mcu like it it is it is funny um yeah and just just overall solid movie uh, again what Corey said i thought the effects were really good i i noticed when oh, well i don't want to get I'll get, I'll get into it. Um, when any, any time, uh, Scott Lang shrunk into his, you know, tiny form, they did a really good job of like blurring the background, almost like a portrait mode on, on like your phone. And it, it made you have that feeling that yes, he's smaller, but also it, it makes it probably easier for the CGI to look good because half of the shot, is blurred and you don't have to <laughs> sure. worry about a lot of that stuff. Um, but it never felt like the CGI got in the way. It was, it was there to, to help tell the narrative and it wasn't ever like, ah, I noticed that ant looks a little stupid. It's so anyway, I'm rambling at this point. So no, that's good. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed this one too. I don't know where I'd rank it necessarily. That'll be, again, I should actually do that to figure out where I put it, but I love heist movies always have, you know, the sting was a movie I grew up on. I, I've loved the oceans 11, 12 and 13. I love all of those movies. And so this was a fun 
departure, I think, from from some of the other MCU type of movies. Um, this is the twelfth movie in in the MCU, which is kind of amazing. Um, you know, only seven years in, and so there's already a kind of an established universe, and they've done many different types of films at, to this point. Two Avengers films as well, um, and so this is interesting that it is self-contained. You guys kind of both mentioned that, and yet it has huge stakes, but there are stakes that are specific to our characters, and so. Um, you know, just, Justin, I mentioned this to you the day. Like, you could take the scene with Falcon out of this movie, and it doesn't really matter. That's kind of more just fan service that he's even in it. But um, it was a great it, scene. It is a great scene, but it's it makes sense that the Avengers are not in this film. I mean, even Scott even you know <laughs> alludes to that. I think the first thing should we should do is call the Avengers. Um, <laughs> but you know that's always been a thing in comic book movies. Once you do the team up movie, and then they don't show up in the next film when like the next you know world threatening thing happens. That doesn't make any sense. But in this film, like it's very specific to Hank Pym, right? He's the one, like this is his story and he has to fix, you know, his issue and need to keep it from getting out. And so it makes sense to be a smaller self-contained film. And I'd love how they kind of balance that where there are real stakes, you know, potentially like this is, could be a world changing thing if it gets past this point, right? You know, Hydra's buying the yellow jacket and all that stuff. Um, But it is not overly concerned with building out the universe and yet it also beautifully sets up the second Ant-Man movie and apparently sets up the third movie as well. So I think it strikes a really, it's in the sweet spot for me. Yeah. Like you, you have a very clear, the universe is present. There's enough little tiny references, little tiny, cause it's Ant-Man. <laughs> uh, there's enough small reference. Did it again? Uh, <laughs> references to the MCU. Like you can, you can, uh, sense the tension between Pym and Stark and like that is almost like an ever present issue. Sure. But not so much that it's detracting from the story that they're presenting. I I love that that's that theme is carried through twice to show Pym and Stark to where the beginning of this movie starts with him going in, busting into Tony Stark's or Howard Stark's office and yelling about taking his formula and trying to take his stuff, which I saw an Easter egg fan theory that said that's because Captain America took the extra particles back in the fifties when they took those. Interesting. Um, And so he accuses Stark and then to where later in the movie where, you know, Scott says we should call the Avengers and he says, this ain't no uh, Iron Man's technology, simple suit. Like he looks down on Iron Man's suit as being lower than his technology. Yeah, there's, and there's so it's it's shame. nice to have that snarkiness from Michael Douglas throughout the whole movie. So that actually is a I'm gonna I'm gonna start with composition because um, that's a natural transition to my my first shot, um, which is you get that establishing shot of the under construction Triskelion, the Shield headquarters, which we saw destroyed in. Winter Soldier, which is still the best MCU movie, um, which, you know, just a couple years earlier, we'd seen that. And so that was a nice kind of throwback to that. And then you get that huge 1989 to establish context. And then that great scene that you pointed out where you have de-aged Michael Douglas comes in and and you have up-aged um, Peggy Carter and, you know, Howard Stark, which that always bugs me. Like, they don't look anything like each other, like old Howard Stark and young Howard Stark. That just always bugged the snot out of me. Hmm. That bug you guys at all? It's totally. They don't even look in remotely the same. I well, kind of, but you know, you know, I gotta, I gotta give props to MCU because they have done a great job of always keeping the same cast members 
through most of their cameos and most of their movies. And so to see John Slattery and Haley Atwell come in and have their cameo throughout several movies. Yeah. That's a great thing that they, we don't have to recast and we don't have to put someone there and say, oh, we're just going to pretend this looks a little different, but we know who it is. Right. And so I, I love that the MCU has done that. And I'm sure they there's some intentionality in their contracts that they do with that. But Oh, yeah. Justin, I'm just, you're gonna say I'm just gonna assume that there's some crazy Stark check tech that can like change his face. That's <laughs> that's my headcanon to make that work. Completely change the shape of his skull to make it more oval. Mm-hmm. He has the same mustache, Craig. It's clearly the same person. <laughs> there, there you go. Okay, what about um, guys? What about uh, camera work, color, things that you noticed in this film? You guys can just jump in whenever. Um, I'm gonna. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Corey. I'm going to start because, Justin, you started to already steal the one of the three things that I was going to talk about with the blurring when he shrinks down to where there is always a blurring somewhere. And I thought the thing I, it made me think of is a long time ago when some of the smartphones just came out, I had an app and it used to miniaturize things. It was you would stand at an angle and take pictures of normal things and then it would blur and that created a miniature toy look. And so it almost had as if you were looking at a, uh, a train set look for anything. And it was absolutely amazing. It was a stunning app. And it made me think of that because I saw several images where they showed the foreground or the background were blurred. And as they crossed over, the, the shift focused uh, to the foreground or the background. And so it was just a real small, subtle thing. But it helps to present that shift that we're in the small world versus the large world. And then the other thing I thought they did was a lot of light beams were spotlighted. And so it was kind of a way of in, you're in a smaller world. Some of that light was a little bit more spotlighted than it was in the, in the big world. And so there's several times where they're in a darker spot and they run through the lighted spot. So it was interesting. And then uh, the other part is a lot of, dark tones and, and things like that, that they used um, throughout the whole movie. But so I thought in all of those three things, it helps to create that great effect between the large world and the big and the small world. Yeah. I did a little bit of research on that. The macro photography is what they used a lot. That's, that's how they kind of got made that those things look way bigger than they should be kind of be from, from Scott's perspective as a shrunken little guy. With, with how much of that was, CGI, it really makes you appreciate movies like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where so much of that had to be like set pieces. Yep. Like those those giant Cheerios and like the yeah, amount was, of time it would take. And can yep. you imagine like fresh out of college, you're an intern on like a movie set and you're like, well, mom, today, my new job, I got to build a giant Cheerio. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> Eight hours. There you go. Uh, anything uh okay so i'm gonna talk about i yeah let's i'm gonna jump in with the uh, with color there's some things i noticed color wise that i really like um the fact that the uh the pem technologies lobby is now yellow which can be interpreted it looks kind of sickly and uh, yellow can also denote deceit or cowardice much like the cross's particles are yellow versus the PIM particles, which are red. I think those color choices are very intentional. Red can, can be anger, of course, but it all could be also can be love and passion. So there's a positive side to, to, to red, but yellow is typically pretty, uh, pretty negative. So it's an mm. interesting color choice. I thought for both the, 
the lobby I noticed right away uh, this time. But before I was like, oh, yeah, the yellow particles versus the red, just to kind of separate those. But you still had to make a choice. Which color are you going to go with for the alternate particles? What about camera work? Do you have any, uh, any angles or, or specific camera things that they did that you guys want to point out? The amount of close-up shots that were, were in this film, like as an actor, I feel like you would have to be very confident in what your face looks like to to be that close-up that often. Um, but it's it, – sorry, I'm going to go back to like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids here. That's fine. Um, it was – it was impressive to me just like how often they could shrink. Uh, what am I trying to say here? That they could get those close-up shots and put, you know, say Paul Rudd in that close-up shot and still make it look so good. I, I mean, th- th- there was CGI in some of them, but sure. a lot of them were just, they were just using a macro lens or whatever, whatever it may be. And it, it, it worked for me. Um, it, I think I said this earlier, but it wasn't distracting at all. I, I never once stopped and was like, I, I notice that this is fake. Like, your your brain is just not there. Mm-hmm. Agreed. The two shots that stand out to me are the uh, the keyhole when he's trying to jump through the keyhole the first time. And as we're watching, we actually are looking through the keyhole that he has to jump through mm-hmm. when he's trying to, to train. And it seems like they did several shots when Scott was big looking from the perspective of where he was trying to go. And when he was small, they always panned back and you saw, you didn't have a close-up of Scott. You ended up seeing small Ant-Man in this huge shot. He had a lot of huge shots. But when he was big, you had a lot of shots where it was Paul Rudd and it was tighter. And so I feel like it was a way of showing Ant-Man being so small. There was like in the, uh, when he's crawling around in the ant hill and he walks up, as they're getting ready to go to to go to the Avengers Tower, he walks in there and it looks like a huge cavern, you know, and you're realizing it's only inches in real life. But he looks across and it's a huge cavern and here's Ant-Man and he's so tiny and here's this flow army of ants flowing towards him. And so I, I think it's sometimes some of those shots were pretty innovative just as a way to give you a sense of size with him as he's large and small. Yeah. Um, the other thing I noticed is when they did the small shots, he was a, a lot of times when he goes large in Ant-Man 2 and in Civil War, he's very slow and lethargic because you're so, so, so huge and so much mass and it's slow to move. And I noticed this time when he goes small in this movie, the things falling around him are falling slow and lethargic. The... And he's in the tub and the water flowing towards him is not flowing as fast as you would see water flow. And I, I hadn't caught that before. It just made sense to me to say, well, to his size, that's the largeness. And it has to have a lot of mass and energy to flow. And it's going to slow it down because it's so large. I thought it made sense. Yeah, that's, that's a great catch. Because uh, there's a lot of fast movement in this too. Like we think about like, the wipes where they're doing like the montages and even like Luis's um exposition as well there's just these really quick wipes and when he's flying on anthony it's moving really really fast and so when you have those things when he's small like you mentioned Corey, it's very jarring and it, it you know it's totally different so i think it's very it's even more effective because of the contrast between those two justin did you want to say something 
No. Okay. Anything else for um, cinematography before we move down to, to sound? Are you guys good? Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and move down to sound. What about uh, sound effects, soundtrack, vocal sounds? Um, Justin, I'm going to start with you. Um, anytime you watch a video on like how movie sounds are made, I'm always just really impressed by the imagination of those people and how they can come up with those sounds. And I just, I, I found myself considering a lot, especially when he's small and you're hearing those really loud noises, like, like that bathtub scene where all the water is like rushing down and how difficult it must've been to make that sound. And like, what are they doing to make that sound? Maybe they're just like slowing down flowing water, but like the echo and like the slow vibrations that you can almost hear during that time. It's, it's really impressive. Obviously no one's been that small, but you kind of have to consider like, maybe that's what it sounded like. Kind of like how Jurassic Park has just shaped everyone's vision of what dinosaurs look and sound like, even though it, it could be completely inaccurate. Uh, this, I feel like for a lot of people has really shaped, like this is the sound of the small, tiny world. We don't really know, but it, I, I thought, I thought it was well done. Yeah. Corey, what about you? I think when I look at the sounds, the part that stands out to me, they do a, a great job exactly like Justin said, but the one part that I'm going to point out for vocal sounds is how they dub Michael Pena's voice in all his storytelling <laughs> over all the characters. It's brilliant. Which I think, I'm going to tell you right now, Michael Pena wins the vote. Top one, number one, backflash storytelling of all MCU movies ever with his enthusiasm and his storytelling and his flair that he puts in there. And I think the the effect of doing that was absolutely incredible. And Stan Lee getting Stan Lee's cameo with Michael Pena's voice yeah, and the way they got those actors to almost imitate his mannerisms so well. And so I think you can't just pull that sound off. You can't just dub a voice and have it fit, you know, um, but I, but the way that Michael Pena tells it, and then with their <laughs> mannerisms matching his, is by far the biggest takeaway of sound effects and vocal sounds to absolutely stick a landing and become the number one best storytelling backstory of all time. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, if if they don't use that throughout Ant Man three, I'm gonna, I'm going to be a little upset. Like they need to to utilize that man i don't think he's in it and i'm crushed i'm crushed oh, by he, that is he not oh. i need him in more marvel movies marvel if you're listening you need to get him in more marvel movies we need him yeah marvel does listen they did subscribe just earlier <laughs> that's i knew it that's yeah. fantastic we hit the looking okay. for tips uh, I want to point out with with the effects, um, the the van's horn, the La Cucaracha one, which I love that they use that as foreshadowing, where it's kind of a joke when they do it at the birthday party, but then it's like they almost get caught during the actual heist, which is a fun callback. Uh, I also love that what you mentioned, uh, Justin, about the like the overly loud regular size things when Scott's tiny. I think that's great. I also love the shrinking and enlarging sound again, but like that's a totally made up sound, um, but it's just very engaging for this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like that shuddering noise. I, I don't. Yeah. I wouldn't know what to call that. But yeah, that is. Yeah, a, that, that's a that's a good example. Whoever thought of that noise? Good uh, yeah, the the score by Christoph Beck I think is really good. Very the, the Ant Man theme is very rousing and kind of propels you. Uh, very upbeat, kind of traditional hero theme. 
Uh, and I do love that they use just a little snippet of the Avengers theme when they have the, the like the clouds part and you get to see like their new campus. That's pretty great. Good callback there. Uh, and th- but there's just a lot of interesting music choices in this film. I thought like it starts with uh, Barombon that <laughs> by uh, Camilo Oscar. Uh, Azakita over the opening titles and like is this Luis's theme I'm not sure what's going on because it's like because <laughs> the next thing you see is is Paul Rudd about to be punched in the face but it's like you just know the movie is it's gonna do some interesting things with its with its music choices uh you know there's there's like pop music dropped in as well as the score you know you also had uh the Commodore's I'm Ready which is an appropriately titled song playing over when they're getting all the heist stuff together like they're picking up you know the different uniforms and all you know doing the soldering and all that stuff I'm Ready is a great name for the song um and then of course you have Luis whistling It's a Small World which is a (laughs) very on the nose and kind of like a backstory for my character (laughs) (laughs) right and it's a callback to him earlier like what if I had yeah like you just mentioned so and then getting to hear the cure in a you know in a fight scene is just fun. So the way they brought that cure song in was absolutely incredible. Where he says, "I'm going to disintegrate you," and then hits yep. the Siri button and playing go. disintegration by the Cure. And you know so it's fun. fictional because voice assistants never work that well. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Nice. Uh, uh, so yeah, with, with the score, I okay. So Craig, I'm I'm jealous of you because. Yeah. You always seem to like pick apart the score so well and have such good things to say and it like evokes so much emotion with you. And I try I try so hard. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna rival Craig. He always says good stuff. I'm gonna say good stuff too. But I I tried so hard to listen to the score, but it consistently just like faded into the background for me. Which maybe is good. Maybe like that helps tell the story. I'm not supposed to be focused on the score. It's not overly distracting. But to me, it just felt very generic. Yeah. Well, other than the Ant-Man theme, the rest of it is pretty much just wallpaper. But the, kind of that... Wallpaper. That's good. That's yeah. Good. There, there is kind of like some horns and some drums for the, the Ant-Man theme that I, I think is, is pretty good. It propels it's, you pretty good. It's amazing how even as I look at my notes when I'm watching the movie and taking notes and I get to that part and Justin's right. You have an eye for this and an ear for this. Cause I watch it and there's times where I go click back a few scenes and I go, Oh man, there was music here. Oh yeah. Look at that. They did have a song here. Oh gosh. Oh, I didn't notice that. It just happens. And I don't know how it just fades out all the time. But, but I wonder in some cases, maybe that's the point. Maybe they're like, hey, we sure. want to emotionally manipulate you with this song. But manipulate has like a negative connotation. I don't know. That's totally what I don't it mean is, it so. in that way. But what's like a positive word for manipulate? I don't know. <laughs> and you just, you just don't know. It's just it's not there. I think our brains are just trained to have that emotional response and not really know that it happened. But if it wasn't there, I bet we would notice. I bet it enhances the scene in such a way yeah. that you oh, certainly you would notice without it, yep. but you don't notice the music with it. If you if you ever, I remember the first time I saw um, one of the original James Bond movies with Sean Connery, and one of the fight scenes was completely silent. There was yep. no music. I think I know what you're talking about. It was so jarring. I'm like, what is wrong with this fight scene? This is not exciting. <laughs> yeah, where's need, the guitar? I need music to tell me how to feel. That's right. Awesome. So, 
Let's go ahead and move down to performance. And I want to start with dialogue. And yes, everything Louise says is funny, but can we limit ourselves to one or two quotes um, that you guys enjoyed from Ant-Man? Yes. Yes, I will. I've got one quote. I'm going to throw one quote out there that absolutely. Okay. Hank asks Scott and says, will you help me? And Scott says, absolutely. My days of breaking into places and stealing some stuff. He did not use the word stuff. I'm sorry. Stealing some stuff are done. What do you want me to do? And then Michael Douglas says, I want you to break into a place and steal some stuff. Yep. Awesome. I love that. I think it just sets up the character. So he's trying to rise above his history. And then here he goes. He's finally selected to be the hero of the world, basically. And he has to do what he's so good at. Yeah, that's it's great. That's what it was like in the in the trailer, though. They actually had, had the stuff. It was a different different take. So it's still a quote from the movie. Justin, what about you? You got a quote or two? So we can't choose. We can't choose Luis. No, you I can choose Luis. No, totally I totally can't. Luis. Yeah. Uh, no, Luis. the the part where he shrinks for the first time, freaks him out, and he has to go and like return the suit, which seems so weird. Like, why would you return the suit? Just <laughs> throw it away. But sure, whatever. So yeah. the movie can happen, I suppose. Um, it's honorable. But uh, right after, oh, he's okay. He's honorable. All right, that was character building. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, and then he he gets out over the fence. The police show up, and he says, "Wait, I didn't steal anything. I was returning something I stole. I just, mm. yeah. That was that was a good one. That's good. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah. There's a lot of funny stuff. I have two that are not funny, but I think that they're they're brilliant. Um, they're early in the film uh, when he goes to the birthday party. His ex-wife, Scott's ex-wife, says, you're her hero, Scott. Just be the person she already thinks you are. Oh. And then you hear that echoed by Hank. He says it as well. And it's really interesting for me, especially on this watch, I really, and it was always there, but I think I paid more attention to it this time, that Scott and Hank are kind of mirror images of each other in a lot of ways. They're both trying to repair relationships with their with their daughters. You know, and and Hank was, you know, hope's hero and then he kind of has he's on a path of redemption much like scott is and so it's interesting that he's he's kind of redeeming himself hank is kind of redeeming himself through scott and so that's kind of a fascinating thing along the lines of quotes that gave us chills um that interaction in uh pym's house between him and darren cross uh Right as they're leaving and they're uncomfortably close to each other's face, which is a problem my wife and I have in movies and TV shows when people get too close. No one talks like that, but it's dramatic. Um, so Darren says, all those years ago, you picked me. What did you see in me? And Hank's like, I saw myself. Then why did you push me away? Because I saw too much of myself. That part mm-hmm. of like, oh, yes. Sick burn. That was my second one. So I'm so glad you pulled that out because it's like there are kind of parallels. Corey, did you have another one that you wanted to bring out? We got we got a little time. Yeah, I was going to bring up one that I thought stands out, not by Hank or Scott lead character, but by that little Cassie Long, where uh, Paxton, the, the police, the police detective, says he's going to go catch her dad, and she says, "Are you really going to find my daddy?" And he says, "I am. I just want your daddy to be safe." And she just makes the snarky comment, "I hope you don't find him." <laughs> I hope you don't catch him. Yeah. Such a great little snarky comment to get a little kid to say. Yeah. All right. My, my last one is uh, where Scott hears the whole story of what to do and then raises his hand. 
and <laughs> says, excuse me, Dr. Pym. And Hank says, you don't have to raise your hand, Scott. He says, okay, I just have one question. Who are you? Who is she? What the hell's going on? And can I go back to jail now? <laughs> it's just brilliant characterization in that moment where he's just holding it and he's respectful and he's not freaking out until that one moment. He lets it out just a little bit. So just brilliant characterization, I think. With all those lines we picked, honestly, because Cassie Lang is is Scott's daughter, like in yep. so many ways. Yep. I almost I almost feel bad for the for the stepdad. Like at no point is he shown to be mean or rude or abusive no. or villainous <laughs> in any way. But he gets the short end of the stick. Like yeah. at her party, <laughs> Scott calls him an asshat, and they're like, "Language? Well, what do you mean? I said hat." Like. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, him that's classic. All right, what about body language and facial expressions? Anything you guys want to point out from there? I'm gonna I'm gonna point out Paul Rudd in this level. The, the type, the title man, title character, and his delivery of some of the the way to put it up where you say a line but you don't really sound as confident in what you're saying. Where he says, for example. Uh, I'm the Ant-Man. Oh, no, of course you wouldn't. You haven't heard of me. And he throws that out. You yeah. can't just have any actor throw that out there, right? You have to have a, a great way of kind of uh, pushing yourself aside with that comment. And he does. Paul Rudd is the best at delivering some of those things. And, and his delivery and his line and his mannerisms, you just cannot get anybody to put in that role. And so I can't see him as Ant-Man as anybody else but Paul Rudd. Yeah. Justin, what about you? So, Corey, is it Corey Stoll? Is that mm-hmm. yeah. uh, plays Darren Cross? Um, he's not in a bunch of stuff. He was in House of Cards on Netflix, I, I believe, in the first season. And he was fantastic. And I think he did such an excellent job in here as well because he seems like such a regular – like you could you could meet that guy. He'd probably be – a bit of a douchebag, but I mean, you could, you could meet that guy. He seems very real, but on the other hand, you can see how he could, he could like twist that information and like twist that invention to suit his needs, make him rich. And he could almost like justify it. And I think he's really good at, at showing that without being too sinister, too much mustache twirly. Like he's, right. he's fantastic in that role. Um, Right at the beginning, no, not right at the beginning. Um, when one of the investors, I don't remember his name, but when one of the investors um, basically shows like a disinterest in his product, and then in the bathroom, uh, Darren Cross like you know shrinks him down. Well, it doesn't shrink him down; like it fails, and he turns into a little smudge. The part where afterwards he goes to the sink, and he looks at himself in the mirror. And as a viewer, you're almost thinking, oh, at this point, he's probably going to show some remorse, think, you know, show some facial expressions of, oh, no, what have I done? What have I become? But then he just washes his hands as if he's just like washing his hands of that situation. Yeah. And just looking in the mirror and then showing no remorse, like that, just that stoic face. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy. It, it sounds like we're going to see more of him in, in Ant-Man 3, hopefully. Um, very excited for that because I, I just thought he was fantastic i feel like we didn't get enough of him uh in the mcu i'd like to see more because he's just he's great 
It'll be great to see how he plays Modok because I think Modok is such a animated character that this guy to see him pull this off, a little maniacal, really going to be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's the rumor. I think we'll see. Um, I have two that I really liked um, the, without uh, without dialogue. That uh, the first one is scott's dejected look when he gets fired from baskin robbins where he just you just see him just slump in his chair his shoulders just drop and it's just like oh man um but the only one i also really like is where he does scott does the move when he's taking he's fighting falcon and he does the thing where he jumps up and hooks him with his legs and flips him around it's the same move that uh, hope had used on him and the reaction that she has while she's watching it on camera where she kind of steps back and tilts her head doesn't say anything she's kind of like huh interesting and you can tell yes. she's impressed because he yes. was paying attention, but she doesn't have to say it. Like it's all very subtle, but yeah. very well done. And I, I think that's like for her where it changes. It's like, oh, right. this guy's not an idiot. Like he, he might actually work out. Yeah. I would say her, she pulls off some amazing cold hearted looks in the beginning of the movie where yeah. with, with her father and being a little upset and dejected and even a little snarky back to him about how her mother died and not telling her the truth and to where she does a great job just in the facial expressions to kind of play that where you're you're seeing the very icy stare from her and then with yeah. scott a little bit of anger towards him and annoyance towards him that he's doing what she wants to do yeah and i had you know moving down a little bit to costumes hair and makeup like first off her wardrobe is very severe and, and initially, you know, and then her haircut, which is it's kind of it does two things because it's it's reminiscent of, you know, her mom's her mom Janet's haircut in the original Marvel Comics run. But it's also a super severe hairstyle as well, like with that straight lines at the bottom where it's cut that that bop style. So like she presents herself as, you know, icy and very unapproachable initially. So like, all those things work together really well. I actually, speaking of the haircut, every time I watch this movie, at some point, I expect them to reveal that that's a wig because I just, it looks, it looks like it's supposed to be a wig. I think I, I didn't personally enjoy it. I thought it looked weird, but, um, well, it's 1960s hairdo. So it's, it is weird, but it, it seems like, like doll hair. Like it doesn't seem like it's real hair. <laughs> that's fine. Like, that's fine. I don't know what the budget was for like the wig department on that movie, but it, <laughs> It was not high. That could be your own hair, dude. You don't know. Maybe she cut that. That maybe that was her hair. Maybe. If so, I'm gonna feel really bad. But yeah. until someone shows me that, I'm I'm gonna keep thinking it looks stupid. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move down to setting and design. Um, one thing I love about this movie is that it's filmed in San Francisco because I'm from Northern California, and so it's it's not New York too, which is nice. It's not New York. It's not LA. It's a different place. So you get to see some some shots of a city that you don't usually get to see in superhero films. Uh, but yeah, shot on location, Tenderloin neighborhood, Buena Vista park. Um, but of course you also have in Atlanta because almost all the Marvel movies are at one point or another shot in Atlanta because it's just cheaper to shoot there. And that's where they have their special effects department. Um, yeah. The state archives building is where the PIM technologies is. And uh, yeah, so those are some of my, my favorite things I pulled out. What about, um, what about you guys set decoration props, anything else for locations? favorite things um, in, in terms of their costumes I, th I think the mcu just generally does a really good job of this um 
all of the costumes within the MCU, they're not they're not distracting. They don't look like they're ripped out of the pages of a comic book. Like like they're obviously taking cues from the comic book, but it's almost like yeah, that's something that could exist in real life. Yeah, that looks that looks nice. And I I think Ant Man nails it with the costume because he does look a little ridiculous in the comics, especially if you were to one to one adapt that to the big screen. Um, but like right at the beginning, Scott calls it. I think he calls it like an expensive motorcycle jacket or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah. it looks good and it doesn't look out of place, especially when we start seeing Scott around other heroes in Civil War and and the Avenger movies. Like he looks, he looks good. It looks real. Yeah, his is more low key than than anybody else's. His looks more real world. Like you could, you could have kind of adapted something that you bought at a store. Yeah, like the, I think within the MCU <clears throat> in general. Probably the most outrageous costume you have is uh, Captain America, but I mean that's there to—that's there for a purpose. Like he—he's right. a symbol. Whereas Ant Man, his is just utilitarian completely. Right. Um, some of the things I enjoyed set decoration wise was that Hank's his house is kind of quaint and old fashioned, and yet he has this very modern video room behind. You know, you can just go downstairs, and he's got yeah. the Bat Cave in his house. With cases of ants, which is another kind of a cool, and of course he would have cases of ants that are all labeled for specific jobs and those kind of things. the 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 other thing that I liked in the set was the the yellow, what they call it, the yellow jacket is the the yellow suit, and how it looked with all the honeycombs in it in that room, and so it was kind of really driving home this yellow jacket type wasp um type thing um I, th- I thought that was kind of that was kind of a nice setting it showed you were kind of in a wasp hornet's nest which you know to be that to be the villain so oh yeah nice i'm, I'm learning stuff because <laughs> i have some wasp nests outside and i'm going to tell you they are not friendly no oh you just want to spray them with a hose Corey? have one of your kids spray them with a hose yeah that's that's worked well yeah and just <laughs> just run away really fast there you go I love the props in this film. It was one of the things I was, again, loving heist movies, watching watching uh, Scott improvise when he's breaking into Hank's house, opening up drawers and finding things like packing tape and that metal ring and he makes his own, and super glue and then makes his own like fingerprint duplicator, just homemade. It's like, it's very MacGyver, which is just a lot of fun. Unexpected to see him do that. I remember being very excited about that when I first saw that. The, the set that I love is the keychain tank. Gotta we talk see about it. That. We see it twice, three times, I think, before we actually see it blow up. We see him set it in the metal detector twice, and Scott picks it up one time at the when he's breaking in, and then we see it in the archive footage where they show the Ant Man uh, in some soldier incursion that he had tank one fifty three. Oh. He knocks a guy off that oh, tank. Nice. It was the same tank. Oh, so he took a little souvenir with him. He did. Yeah. Shrunk it down. That's right. awesome. Hey, while while we're talking about the tank, though, can I can I just bring up? Yes. Okay. Okay. Cool. I know where you're yeah. going, but go do it. Should we? Okay. Or should yes. we save it? No. No. Go for it. It makes no freaking sense that he can carry that tank in his pocket because he clearly says like the mass does not change. He is just reducing the distance of the atoms. Yeah. So the tank yes. should be. <laughs> Multiple be, tons. You know, set, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what a tank weighs. Yeah. Multiple. That's tons. the number one question. And he shouldn't have been able to pick up the the generator they got from the Avengers. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's just like 
I love the concept, but maybe next time don't explain it to us or partially explain it to us. And then the rest just be like, oh, we don't know how all the science works. And then you got a, you got, you know, a free pass for all of the plot holes and inconsistencies. Somehow Palpatine returns like one of those situations. <laughs> just give us that. Yeah. Secrets only the Sith knew. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Throwaway line. Beautiful. That's true. Uh, anything else from said decoration props before we talk about characters? Oh, right. Uh, yeah. The uh, the ant that during the final fight scene, Scott enlarges and then they end up using it as like a pet. <laughs> <laughs> that so thing weird. is that thing is well done. Like it. <laughs> yeah. That is an ugly dog. <laughs> yeah, that's an ugly. It's a messed up dog. He learns how to I, play drums apparently. Yeah, Craig, is it is it animatronic? Like what what is that? I, you, you I'm assuming know. it's just CGI. I they wouldn't be able to that. make something that moved like that animatronic wise. Oh, I don't. Maybe, do play... Probably a, it could be a mix, like the one under the table. That could be a mix of that yeah, things. yeah. Because I guess yeah, in some scenes it does move in a way that that would that would not work out. Yeah, I love that. What about that so, old van? There's a there's a prop that old van which goes into so many different movies. Ant Man one. Uh, goes in uh, Ant-Man 2 and then it's also in Endgame. Yeah. That's true. And a rat saves the day. Good job, rat. Um, Characters. Anybody that we haven't talked about. um, I I just, I want to, I want to take on the challenge of saying uh, David Desmalchin's name. I said it. There it was. I said it out loud. David Desmalchin as Kurt because he's great. And that guy's been in so many Marvel and DC properties. That was so brave of you, Craig. <laughs> I had to try that on because that's not his real accent either, which is fantastic. Like he had to learn how to do that um, and borrowed that accent. So that's, that's pretty great. But I mean, we've talked about, we've talked about just about everybody. Uh, I think. What about, uh, what about the, there, there's a character in there, the guy that they end up punching. Scott punches him in there when he gets, when, uh, Michael Douglas gets shot. The guy has a Hydra tattoo. Did anybody else notice that? Or not a Hydra tattoo, the 10 rings tattoo on his oh, neck. I, I miss that. I have to well, he has a 10 rings tattoo, which is the group that kidnapped Tony Stark. Right. And Working for, yeah, Shang-Chi. It kind of just shows everybody in here that Hydra, Hail Hydra sneaking into all the different waves. And, and so I thought, I thought that was an interesting, I'd never noticed it before. I just happened to be looking at it this time. And I saw that where he, he punched the guy and, and as he leans back, you see this 10 rings. At first I thought it was a Hydra tattoo, the octopus. Oh, that's but then catch. I see it's a, it's a 10 rings tattoo. I did okay. not catch that. So uh, a deep cut from the Gen Xers, um, Garrett Morris, who's the guy who's driving the cab and Ant-Man falls and then it, he gets larger and then it, he gets heavier, which is again, that's not supposed to happen because he's supposed to be the same mass. Um, that's Garrett Morris. He he's he was on Saturday Night Live, original cast, and played Ant Man in a sketch in the seventies. And so that's an Easter egg as well. And I re- like, oh, oh, that's Garrett Morris because I didn't watch it when I was I was born in seventy five, so I didn't watch it live, but I watched it in reruns, and I, so I knew who that was. And that's that was kind an of a Easter fun egg that I feel like so few people would have gotten. <laughs> it really is. Now those are my favorite ones. Like this is such an inside joke. No one will yeah. get it. Yeah. Uh, Martin Donovan as Mitchell Carson was good. He's that general that gets his nose broken in the beginning. Yeah. Love to or, hate that guy. 
I, you, right? That's the thing. I'm not bringing him up because he's a good guy. I'm bringing him up because I absolutely cannot stand him. And then that means he's done a good job as a, as a bad guy. That's right. Oh, I speak, speaking of the guy that got his nose broken at the beginning, right after he insults Hank Pym's wife, uh, the look on John Slattery's face, who plays <laughs> Howard Stark, like yeah. you, you know, he knows he's like, he's going to get the crap beaten out of him. You shouldn't have yeah. insulted the wife. Like, yeah. just the look of disappointment. I, I love that. Well, yeah, then just, the next time they meet when they're older and he says, how's your face? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Well, there's, I don't know if you guys know about this, um, but there is, there is a story and that's not one I'm, I'm a big fan of, but Hank Pym is abusive toward her in, in some, some runs of the comics toward his wife. And so there's some nods to that, to his, um, his anger issues. So hopefully that, I mean, thankfully they didn't get too deep into the weeds with that, but I think that that's also a little bit of an Easter egg too. Uh, he you see that anger and angry. Him. Yeah. Got a short fuse. Yeah. Short. <laughs> and <Ant-Man. laughs> it's like when we do super, we're just going to fly fused. right through this. Yeah, there you go. We need a, we need a pun counter on this thing. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, anybody else before we talk about hero's journey? I'm, no, I'm, I feel like we covered the characters. I think we have too. And honestly, for Hero's Journey, like it's hits many of the traditional beats of the reluctant hero. I don't know if there's anything overly different. I mean, it's a traditional, you know, origin story, like you mentioned, Corey. But I think, you know, Paul Rudd carries this thing. It would be hard to have this movie be nearly successful without him as the central character. Which, which I think is interesting too, because I remember when this was being. Uh, we were talking about when it was announced that Hank Pym was not going to be the main character and that they were going to go with Scott Lang. And, you know, when you go with like the second iteration of the character is going to be your main character. And like, that just didn't sound interesting to me. I wanted to see Hank Pym, but I think they actually did a really good job with blending these two stories. Like I mentioned earlier with like the, both of them, you know, fathers to daughters and trying to work on those things. So he has multiple arcs going on. Not only is he becoming a hero in the traditional sense, he's also kind of, you know, becoming the father that he's supposed to be as well. They both are really. Yeah. You, you almost like expected like a, a traditional passing of the torch, but it still feels like Michael Douglas is very, or Hank Pym, I guess is still like he's passed the torch, but he's still holding on to the torch mm-hmm. quite a bit. Like he, he is not giving the reins over fully to Scott and it looks like in uh, Quantumania he solely based on the trailers so if you're listening to this after that movie comes out I'm sorry it looks like um, he's still very heavily featured in that film sure I remember I remember when Ant-Man first came out I was not eager about it because just to me the science behind shrinking a person and and telling me he's a superhero because he's shrunk. I'm like, what What? what, what are you going to do with that? Um, I, I am not as well versed in the comic books. I'm a fan of the movies. And so so sometimes I don't have that background to lean on with the comic book lore. But I remember watching this movie, absolutely loving this movie. And I think because the, st- the cast carries it. Paul Rudd carries it. Evangeline Lilly, Michael Douglas, Michael Pena. All these things in there that just blend this perfectly to be a great comedy yet huge story arc and then to see where ant-man has come to now i mean with kang's introduction this is ant-man and kang and here's our next villain 
yeah, he, bigger he than Thanos coming forward because of Scott. Of yeah. And so I think to look and see, oh my gosh, this is this can be, you know, little people can have big impacts too. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, look at that little, you know, little Ant-Man can have a big impact right here in the whole MCU. So with the decisions he's going to make in this upcoming movie. There you go. So we've kind of transitioned into final thoughts already, which is fantastic. And I'm going to, I'm going to make a quibble. I haven't done one of these in a while. Um, but I, I feel in some ways that this movie would have almost been better had it not been in the, in the MCU because of the fact that there are a few scenes where the traditional quippy self-aware MCU humor kind of takes the legs out of some sincere dramatic moments. And I'm thinking specifically of the moment where Paul Rudd interrupts at the end. This is great. You guys are bonding. Like, why couldn't you just let the moment breathe? Like it would be okay to be sincere. That would be okay. See, I, you, I actually have the opposite in my notes. I've, I've, and, and maybe it's because I'm emotionally unavailable. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I feel like it let the perfect amount of emotion kind of simmer before, before doing that. If it was someone that didn't have the comedic timing of Paul Rudd, I might be more irritated with it, but I, but I feel like, this was almost like pre the area era where the MCU got a little too goofy. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it was just starting here. I'm not sure, but yeah. I, I thought it was an appropriate amount. I had the same gripe with, with Dr. Strange that like, I thought Dr. Strange would have been better as its own. It was totally self-contained. Like that universe can totally exist on its own. And there's just so much quippiness that doesn't necessarily have to be there. And you know, we've had, like Black Panther is the opposite of that, where like T'Challa never quips ever. No. Like his most quotable line is my kids are like, do you have a blanket? Like that's the closest thing he has to a joke in the entire yeah. movie. He even shuts down some jokes like in Civil War when Hawkeye introduces himself. He's like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So it, wait, well, I guess all I'm trying to say is like, I, mean, I love this movie. I do. I think it's really fun. But there are certain things that. And, and I probably am kind of extrapolating later on into the MCU. Where it's like, you know what? You don't always have to go for the easy laugh. It's okay to just be honest and sincere in the moment. That's all I'm saying. And I'm on this side of the coin saying I absolutely appreciate and love it. And I wish DC had more of that. Like I, I love the, the jokes and the quips that they put in there. I think it, I like those light and mood moments that he does. And I think, I think, that depends on the actor. I think Paul Rudd is so incredible at how he pulls those off. He is just great at that delivery. And I he he was part of the screenplay, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he's a co-writer as well. He's a co-writer. And so I think that's part of I think you see him come out in that. I think that's who he is as a person. So I I think the humor in this blends so well with the story. And so so I, I agree, Craig. I think you could definitely hit some of those things, but I think um, I think for someone like myself, I, I appreciate that comment. And I also love some of the humor that's in there. I think it's so well played. Yeah, that's fair. So anything else guys that you want to mention about Ant-Man before we get out of here? This, this is, we'll, we'll put this in the bucket of random, but it, um, it got me thinking right at the beginning when I believe it was Corey mentioned the brain chemistry of, of Darren Cross and how they, they mentioned that. Why do you think the film did that? Why did the film bring up the idea that uh, his brain chemistry has been altered? 
why not just let him be a villain? Why yeah. why have like an excuse for it? I think I, I, feel, I feel like they never come back to that and never they, really explore that much. They write it off with the comment of "You're not the same person." Evangeline says that to him after his you know final reveal in the in the little hexagon hexagon room. He says some you know he's taken over and and she says you're not you're not the same person. The the your brain waves are being messed up because of that. She writes it off. And Deadpool would say that's just lazy writing, but I think that's what they did. Is that's a way of writing it off because they it's didn't spend much time on him. But he's all of a sudden launching super soldiers into the world by the millions or thousands, you know, in his little video he did, his montage. He's assassinating government officials in that montage in the beginning. So it's Based like on like the character progression, it doesn't seem like that would be too far out of his wheelhouse. Like the the way that Hank Pym describes him and like yes. he's ambitious, it doesn't seem like that you would need to have the excuse of altered brain chemistry for him to get to point A to point B. Yeah. Well, you know what that could be too? That could be hope trying to play him a little bit too. Like it might not be real. Yeah. It's classic the, gaslighting. It, I mean, it could be that she's trying to, she's trying to reason with him and like, look, you know, you're making a bad choice, but it's not your fault. So maybe you can back off of that. You know, you can kind of justify what you've done to this point because you are a little bit out of control. So it could be that too. From personal experience, I can tell you telling a crazy person they're crazy never helps the argument. <laughs> never. That's some that's some good words right there, Justin. Some good <laughs> advice. You're welcome. That one was free, everybody. <laughs> so we're excited. I think everybody's excited for, for Ant-Man 3. Yes? Quantumania? Like, bring it on. Yeah. Opening yeah. night. I'm there. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend. And one last thing, our next episode will be a review of Creed. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Creed and we'll share it on the next episode. 